What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 74 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Sam, we're recording this on a Monday evening. As we speak, it's still coming home. It is. It's, if anything, it's starting to round into the street, curl down the doors, approach the cul-de-sac, and, and nestle close somewhere to the front door at the moment. Um, things are incredibly optimistic at this stage. What that means is if it doesn't end up coming home, this might be our last ever podcast because as we speak, it's still coming home. So if we never do another podcast, it never necessarily didn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like Schrodinger's homecoming. That's it, yeah. If we never directly associate or discuss it not coming home, then it must have come home. So if we never do another show, then it must have been. If someone listens to this in a thousand years, they must. And this is the last episode we ever did. They'll leave this episode thinking it must have come home because I didn't hear anything about it not coming home. I, I can't wait for the noise philosophy cast that will just be a spin-off. I'm sure Google won't exist in a thousand years either, and I'm sure they won't be able to just type in whether England won the 2020 Euros or not. Um, but regardless, it's coming <laughs> out, bro. That results. Or whether that result was remotely dependent on this conversation entirely. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is It is certainly appears to be on the way home. Just needs to uh, knock out some Danes and maybe beat some Italians on the way, but we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Man, the big feels if it does come home. Uh, before that, before it, whether it comes home or not, uh, we are a fortnightly rock and metal podcast sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you get your podcasts, we will be there. The best way to support us is by subscribing slash following, depending on the service that you are using. Please do that. That is absolutely the best way to support me and Sam. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Both me and Sam run that account. And with the news that me and Sam have just heard, only an hour ago me and sam are going to be going to gigs this year and we're going to be going to gigs a lot next year as well so not only will you have our nonsense muslings but you'll also have us at gigs and just being general idiots which me and sam love to do so follow us on twitter there noise podcast um on this week's show there is literally no need for sam to be cynical about anything everything's amazing without giving you too many spoilers uh we have got reviews on cognitive's new record malevolent thoughts of a hastened extinction every time i say that album name it creases me um and aphidian always desolate plus we've got a cool full circle moment for the podcast because i interviewed born of osiris guitarist slash lead songwriter lee mckinney and that's like a cool moment for us because our very first podcast episode sam if you will remember was us reviewing born of osiris's last record the simulation do you remember 73 episodes ago sam Hmm. A little bit. I briefly remember talking about Born of Osiris seventy three yeah. episodes ago. I remember it, I remember enjoying it too. Yeah. Great. Um um I, I, I thoroughly have enjoyed most, if not everything, Born of Osiris have done. And I've got some very fond memories of being shown for Born of Osiris when I was like fourteen. And then just blowing my head off at the back of a bus. Like so big fan of this. Great band. Uh, Lee McKinney is a tremendous uh, songwriter, guitarist. Uh, Born of Osiris' new record, Angel or Alien, which came out last Friday, um, July 2nd, is great as well. It's bloody good. In my opinion, one of the best things I've done in a long time. So if you're listening to this, uh, not only have we got Lee McKinney coming on at the end of the show, but also please listen to that new record, Angel or Alien. It is so good. Um, Sam, we're going to kick things off with the news. Just before we started this podcast, Sam, I said, "Give me ten. Let me know ten minutes before 
uh, you're ready because I need you to do something for me. And you said, yeah, I'm ready. And in that time, Sam, I sent you the new Turnstile EP, Turnstile Love Connection. It's already out on Roadrunner Records. It was like a surprise drop. Sam, Turnstile are amazing. I love Turnstile to death. I think they're brilliant. Um, there's more character and enthusiasm and general interest uh, put into this EP in the space of eight minutes than 90% of bands that I, we've reviewed this year, in my opinion. I love this EP. It's cool. It's off-kilter. It's different, what you're saying. From one really listen. Good. No, it's, it's really good. Um there's an element of where they're, they're sort of driving away from the, the sort of formulate blueprint that sort of infected their previous sort of material. Because I was getting there's some dabblings and electronica here. There was yep. a, moment, a, couple of, a couple of moments in those early riffs on the the last track. Um, where so I was like, connection, yeah. Yeah, well, I was actually listening to it. I was like, this sounds a bit like Weezer. Like, it's got that kind of heavier pop punk type vibe to it. Um, in addition to the typical stomp and groove that we've known to associate with that band. Um, it's a shame it's only eight minutes, though. I'd like to see an album of this. I'd like to hear an album of this more specifically. Um, but yeah, the future seems bright, assuming that that's the steps that they're continuing to take. It sounds ambitious, which is which is what I like to hear. Well, that's the thing with an EP, yeah. Like, if you can leave an EP thinking, mm, wish that was an album, job done. 100%. 100%. In your, in your view, is this a precursor to... A lengthier release, or is this just Turnstile saying, we've got this music, here it is? I'm going to go out on a limb, Sam, and I think this is a precursor to where Turnstile are going. Me and you saw Turnstile at the Steel... Um, this is not called the Steel Mill. I forgot where it's called, what it's called in Birmingham. Um, but regardless, 12th of March, I remember the day, because it was the last gig that me and you went to. It was nine days before the country lockdown. Um we saw them in oh, what is that 600 capacity maybe yeah must yeah. be no 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 more than turnstile ain't sticking around in those venues for long they're gonna no oh, they no, they're gonna agree. they're gonna do this with their sound and i think they're gonna expand i think what's what we're halfway through 2021 here um i would be comfortable in saying by 2023 i think they'll be at brixton which is 5000 cap and no, I think that's that'd quite be... a leap, Chris. In yeah. eighteen months. Yeah, because um, I think I think what I think because I saw them at two thousand trees, um, and that was like they had a massive crowd and everyone was loving it. And when I when I say Brixton, I don't mean UK tour full of five thousand seater venues. I'm, I'm talking they'll do a one off show at Brixton, like to close off. Like I think uh, there'll be like another album. I think there'll be an album in twenty twenty two. I think they'll tour that, and then to close off that cycle for the UK, I think they'll. I think they could play a Brixton one-off show, uh, whether that sells out or not. Obviously, I, I don't know, but I, I think I think that's where they could end up because they're, they're one of those bands like Turnstile. They're like a hardcore punk band, but everyone who keeps their ear to the ground seems to know about them. Like anyone who pays attention will know who they are, and with that, because they're so good, they're bound to like them as well. Because I think they're amazing, and also I'd like to petition that every Turnstile release gets put out in the summer now. Because listening to like Mystery and Holiday with that like synth bounce with the chunky guitarist behind in the summer, where you look out your window and it's the sun's beaming, like mate, inject it into me. Amazing! I love this band. I think they're amazing. This EP is great, and it's like really different as well, which is so cool. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it, and I think it's a um, a welcome a welcome shift forward for them. And if it means 
what you think that it means in terms of a further progression of their career, then that would be that'd be terrific for the industry. Because I think um, I don't know if you feel this way, um, but hardcore punk and hardcore in general could do with a flagship band. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, especially like obviously hardcore's got not loose, but in terms of like punk and hardcore punk. They could do with a new flagship band, and oh my god, that should be Turnstile. They're amazing. I think they're brilliant. So good. Yeah, um, me too. Sam, let's move on. And um, the only other bit of news, really, that I wanted to talk about. Oh, outside of the fact of actually the download pilot seemed to go down really well. I'm not sure whether you saw any videos from the weekend, I did. Um, but it looked I did, amazing. Yeah. I was heartbroken that we couldn't have been there because of work and stuff, mm. but it, it, it looks like it went down brilliantly well. Um, to my knowledge, there hasn't been an influx of positive cases from it, so that's amazing. Um, and I, I'm, mate, I looked at the videos for like while she sleeps. And Enter Shikari and Malevolence and mate, ugh, live music, man. Just our first gig back is set to be while she sleeps, and mate, I'm just counting down the days. I can't wait. It's it's a return of the metal community as it's best known, which is the live experience. Um, and for the last eighteen months, metal has been a synthetic and digital trend. Yeah. Un- um, that's been forced upon it by society at the moment, and to return that to what it was, what it has always been at its roots, which is a physical experience that is both galvanized and accented by actually having that experience and sharing those, um, sharing that music with, with, with the, the people who made it present and also having that experience with, with people of a like mind around you is, I think particularly, um, particularly poignant in the metal world um and i just i'm just desperate for that back just for the not just for myself for the for the scene yeah um gigs are so good for so many people from 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 obviously from the bands downwards but they're they're you know economic and um and social and spiritual advantages, I think, are, are endless. And I think the absence of that has had a massive impact. So having those return is just wonderful news. Shout out, download. Uh, shout out to anyone that went to the pilot. I hope you had the best, best time. Uh, in terms of the news that I wanted us to move on to, Sam, uh, a couple of episodes ago, me and you were talking about the rumour mill that was spinning about what Metallica might be doing in the studio, or more specifically, what they might be doing with the Black Album. There was like kind of a, a, an internet musling that uh, Metallica might be doing a Black Album 2.0. Me and you both said we didn't want that, and we're not getting that, Sam. What we are getting is called the blacklist album i'm going to read uh, verbatim from metal hammer's website here um, as expected metallica are set to reissue the black album in september in acknowledgement of their fifth album's 30th anniversary the deluxe reissue will be accompanied by the release of a huge 53 artist metallica tribute album called the metallica blacklist featuring artists such as ghost Corey taylor miley cyrus with elton john saint vincent biffy claro idols the who dave gahan Weezer, Chase and Status, and covering tracks from the 1991 album. Um, 
The album also features uh, Ghost and Weezer separately, covering Enter Sandman, Biffy Clyro covering Holier Than Thou, St. Vincent and Royal Blood separately covering Sad But True, and Idols covering The God That Failed, as well as a full list of the 50-plus chosen artists that are taking part. You can go to Metal Hammer's website and see the full list. One of the best things about this that I really, really love is that all profits from the Metallica Blacklist will be split evenly between the All Within My Hands Foundation and 50-plus charities chosen by the artists who play on the album or within my hands was founded by the band in 2017 Sam all things considered I think this is the best thing that Metallica could possibly have done with the 30th anniversary of the Black Album yeah because it accompanies Metallica live stuff studio takes and all this other stuff in a giant box set that you can buy if you're the sort of Metallica nerd like I am and you want to get stuff that you can put on your walls and, and you can get cool vinyls and cool little bits and bobs. This is essentially a what I expected it to be, plus the blacklist stuff, um, which is this celebration of the album, which has been remastered, which I can't imagine took very long. And Yeah, I was going to say, do what with it? <laughs> Where does it need touching up? Turn, yeah, turn, every, turn everything up and put it on digital. Cool. All right. Um, and... This, this is the addition of the some of these live shows and some of the outtakes that we knew that existed, um, like the fast version of Sabre True and some of the stuff that was appearing on James's little riff tapes and, and stuff like that and the original iterations of some of the songs. Um, the, the Blacklist thing is cool. There's um, This isn't any old um, throwaway idea. There's there's huge artists that have got, got a part of this and there are some really interesting takes on some of the bands popular songs that I'm interested in hearing as a fan and as usual it ranges from which is Metallica are good at it ranges from the very affordable if you want just the remastered album you can just get a digipack cd for like 20 quid all the way up to this deluxe box set where you can get the whole lot for like 200 and that's the sort of depth of fandom that you want to experience there's vinyl only versions there's download only versions you know this is this is the Metallica corporate machine also mixed with um, some good stuff in there in terms of the charitable donations as well. I think it's just an absolute confirmation of the type of band they are, the type of reach they have, and the type of influence. Because the this isn't just a, as as well. This isn't just a collation of of rock bands covering here. There is electronic artists. There are rap artists. There are foreign language artists. There are classical musicians. Even take the version of Miley so- of Nothing Else Matters done by Miley Cyrus, Elton John, Yo Yo Ma, and Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean that's 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 a roulette and a half of musicians. So this is, I, I agree with you. They're not trying to, they're not trying to recreate the black album. They're just trying to celebrate it. And I've got absolutely no issue with that. It's 30 years old. It's one of the great albums of all time. Perfectly fine with me. I was going to mention this. Have you listened to Miley Cyrus's version? Nothing else matters. I have mate. If you really remember, good, I it? you. It's really good. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's, do you remember when I first mentioned it to you that like it was in the news that Miley Cyrus had been like working on Metallica stuff? I mean, you were both like, Sam, should be really, she's a great vocalist. Like, regardless of what you think about her music output, like, no one can take away that she's got a great voice, and it's great. Nothing else matters. By Miley Cyrus, of course, it's great. She's she's great. She's got a great voice. Yeah, Elton John on piano. Yeah, I mean, sound. Yeah. Absolutely, that sounds exactly like I I I wanted to want to sound like Yo Yo Ma on guitar. I mean, come on now. 
Um, and there's a few of these versions that I'm really interested in that I think are going to be really, really good. Um, Chris Stapleton is doing Nothing Else Matters. Sam Fender's doing Sad But True. Like, yeah. wicked. Absolutely wicked. And once again, I, I, don't, I say this every time, but this reaffirms their influence, reaffirms yeah, their yeah. impact and, and effect and all, all, that, all that sort of stuff. You, this, this is not, this is a different level. Um, for for a band to sort of achieve of this of this depth, so I'm 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 well in, but of course I would be. Now this doesn't necessarily mean Sam. I'd like to point out that this is them done with the studio because I I am of of the opinion that the the studio time that Metallica have had is separate to this. Mm-hmm. So we are, we are still set to get some kind of new Metallica music in the next year. I'm yeah. glad that Black Album 2.0, because of this, has been written out. And I, I, we've got no idea what, what that's going to sound like. I just wanted to kind of put this little caveat in there of Metallica have been in the studio. I, I believe that is them doing the original material and obviously nothing to do with this. Obviously, like you said, someone's going to have gone in, lifted the volume up and everything and digitalised its sound. But I'm still excited for what the next Metallica studio outcomings are going to be, specifically more so now that I know it's not the Black Album 2.0. Yeah, um, but to be fair, I mean, they released the 30th anniversary version of Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and just yeah. before, and they released albums in between those, man. So, yeah. like, it, it, it's, 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 it's by the by. It's always going to run parallel. Um, what I'm personally hoping for is a series of shows Please, whether whether actually you know celebrate this and maybe play a few more tunes off it or whatever, um, like they did with the Master of Puppets one in two thousand and six, um, which was a, a time machine gig that I wish I was uh, able to go to. Um, but that that would be that would be nice. But other than that, yeah, I absolutely expect the output to remain the same from Talica. And just before we get into album reviews, Sam, uh, employed to serve Alien Weaponry and Gajira in arenas. Mate, I'm so glad we're going. That is going to be so great. So, so great. I am I am eternally grateful for your ability to get these um, to get these, get these shows. We'll have your finger on the button so early in the morning. Um, I'll I'll be sharing it year eight. <laughs> so I massively, I massively appreciate that. Um, but we were talking about it on the podcast. You... Um, you posted about it this morning. Gajira are doing arenas. This is it is it is time to quote yep. the immortal Rafiki from Lion King. It is it is time to do this, and um, I, I absolutely think it's going to be a, a success, be a wonderful evening had by all, and and see the start of Gajira taking that step that we th- we thought was possible for them and has not been necessarily taken by a lot of bands of their ilk. It could be it could be the part of a landmark tour them which i think would be terrific hey dude me and you have spoke for uh, you know at length about how great Gajira are and how great fortitude is and how they deserve this and i think they're not just it's not just Gajira in arenas it's Gajira rolling the dice on arenas because if this doesn't sell well then it's back to academies but one thing i wanted to mention sam dude me and you saw i mean I, i've been a big employed to serve fan for a while because i think employed to serve are great but me and you saw Employed to Serve in a small little Wolverhampton venue called the Slade Rooms that was like, mm-hmm. I want to say, half full, which for the Slade Rooms, I want to say there was like 30, 40 people there, maybe. And that was in 2017, maybe, or maybe. perhaps or maybe 2018. And dude, how great is this? 
employed to serve in arenas, man. Employed to serve open in Alexandra Palace for Gajira. That is absolutely amazing. Employed to serve have got a new album out in September. Uh, on Spine Farm Records. It's a great month for Spine Farm, that is, because they've got Sleep Token and Employed to Serve in the same month, I should point that out. Um, but shout out for Employed to Serve, because they're great, and how great for British Metal that Employed to Serve are opening Alexandra Palace and an arena tour for Gajira. Amazing. I couldn't be more behind it. Completely agree. Completely agree. I love where metal's going at the moment, because we seem to finally be shedding um, the skin uh, um, of, of a previous generation and now um, appearing into the gaze of a new one. And that is that is where it, this is where it starts. Uh, I think this is a fantastic move, and I'm massively looking forward to seeing Employed to serve on a stage that size. I need to check out Alien Weaponry. I've never listened to them before. They've got a lot of hype behind them. Uh, it was supposedly a great set of download last time they played, but I've never I've never listened to them. Uh, so I need to be checking out uh, Alien Weaponry, and I'm going to do that in the coming week. Uh, Sam, let's get on to album reviews. We are going to start with Cognitive's Malevolent Thoughts of a Hastened Extinction. I said I couldn't say it without laughing. This is the most violent, angry name ever. Uh, it is out on July 16th for your unique leader records. It's the band's fourth album and the follow-up to 2018's Matricide. Uh, Sam, unique leader record strike yet again. What a ridiculous year they're having. As well as Cognitive, they did Distance album, Humanity's Last Breath, Asaya. They did to the Graves album as well. It's, it's, it's getting ridiculous now. Like every time we receive a promo from Lisa, uh, hold tight PR shout out Lisa, she's amazing. Every time we get a promo that I see Unique Leader involved with, I'm like, cool, that's on the podcast. Because I just, I just know it's going to be great, dude. How great is this album? Oh my god, it's insane. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This uh, it's it's terrific. Um, this is um. This is tech death metal at its finest. I think this is just wonderful. Um, from 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 start from start to finish, it does everything brilliantly. What are you good at? Cognitive? Oh, everything. Cool. And that's 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 what we're, that's where we're at because it's a brilliant work of 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 riff mastery, of breakdowns, of percussion, of lead passages, of of groove. Uh, there are there are moments on this that are both school crushing and head bobbing there's a semblance of structure i was it's it's so good i was showing this i was showing this to my girlfriend just being like you know how like death metal's like really indecipherable and she's and he's like Ugh! and she's like yeah and she's like don't you think this is different to that and she's like no i'm like well i do and this is why and i like i'm like <laughs> talk and talking to her through like how it's like different to your average tech death metal but chris now that i've got you on a podcast you're the person i probably should have spoken to first about this don't you think this is kind of different to a tech, death metal album in the sense that it seems to be like it's hard to explain, but there's there's, 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 a, there's a clearer sense of structure, and it's 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 not it's not deliberately intended to be easy to follow, but because of the quality of the songs and the songwriting, it's easier to hook yourself onto these tracks. Whereas I think sometimes one of my main criticisms for tech death metal in general is that by track nine it gets a bit silly and a bit hard to follow and you find yourself being like, okay, I'll get the blueprint. Whereas this was, was, was had a clear identity throughout. You were able to just vibe with it as well as obviously just remonstrating at just the unbelievable musicianship of this. This is an incredibly, incredibly impressive album. I'm with you, man. Like, I think this is a really diverse tech death record, which I think is what you were getting at as well. Like this, this is technical deathcore and it's technical metalcore and it's technical death metal, but it's also 
classic deathcore and it's also classic death metal and it's also that that classic like really gnarly like early mid 90s death metal sound as well this is like this this is this is like the dictionary of of tech death this record is like and it's it's kind of difficult to to pick this apart and be like well, well, this bit particularly stands out because this album is just a wall of sound. Like, like literally starting from Enoch, like the opener, that blasting drum sound and vocal snare um, that comes across. Like Shane Joss, the vocalist on this album, he's ridiculous. I cannot believe. Like, I, I was so certain there would be two vocalists on this record. I was just—I was convinced there must be a second vocalist. There is not. It's all Shane. Absolutely insane. And you get that big, brutal deathcore and slam sound running throughout Anayak. And that—that it, it, that start leads to this like kind of like his murder-esque solo bridge section. Then it drops into this death metal stomp as it breaks back into the verse. And then you get this crescendo of this horrible, horrible breakdown. <laughs> and Shane's vocals are just ungodly. And even in that like four and a half minute spell of Enayak, you get everything that, de- that tech death can be. And from that moment, the-, the record just absolutely refuses to let up. Because the more comes in straight after. And Enayak ends with this kind of horror movie soundtrack. And it blends like brilliantly into this opening screaming high-pitched guitar riff there's a speed metal section in there and there's just like a million sounds thrown at you at once and um, there's blast beats and a kick traversing fill from from aj viana the drummer I mean, mate, this this album is absolutely insane. I mean, the best the best track on it. I'm, I'm yet to I'm yet to talk about. But mate, in terms of like the technicalities of this, I, I knew you'd be into this. Because the, the, it's kind of like, I don't think this is as good as Shadow of Intent, but it's not no, far no, off. No, it's not far off. I completely agree. What it matches with Shadow of Intent and matches with Humanity's Last Breath uh, is just the ridiculous, once again, we'll talk about um, Fiji and I later, the, the degree of difficulty here. Oh. I need... It needs to. It needs to be worth mentioning. Um, three drummers shouldn't be able to do this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, like legit, legitimately, the transitions here to just jump from speed to speed. You talk about the opening of, 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 of sort of the end of Enia going into more, and it's just blast beats for like the first two and a half minutes, and then just scales into this rising, blistering riff just throughout. And the breakdown, the conclusion of you said you said e- Eniac. I, I is it Eniac or Eniac? Oh, it's one. Of, it's one of the other. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like I was, I was unsure myself. Um, I'm glad you took the plunge, mate. To be honest, um, <laughs> I thought I was like, okay, we're going with that. Sweet decision made. Um, if we're wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I was gonna pronounce it in like four different ways by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, but it just it just jumps out that it jumps out the mix with just an unbelievable intensity and percussive quality. Um, I want to I want to talk about we talked about the opening two tracks, so it allows me to talk about the next one um, because I want to talk about the conclusion of of, of the Arteral Red. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> oh my god, um, that riff is just amazing. Yeah, um, the 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 riff that that starts with the album. And, and by the way, metal bands, 
I love it when you break into a riff and the guy's just like high out, just just give me that all the time. Um, Massive, like massive fan of that, but the way that it breaks and builds up and then kicks back into this bouncy groove laid and break there where I'm just like hopping on both feet like Muhammad Ali at the start of a <laughs> the start of a boxing match. It's like <laughs> Class. <laughs> Mate, it's unbelie- unbelievable. Only death metal can make me dance like Bruce Springsteen in nineteen eighty four or Carlton off Freddie It's absolutely unbelievable. I love I love that. Um from that moment um I, I it kind of took a new level for me. Because that was evidence that you can not just follow the normal death metal tropes and the, and the tech death metal stuff. All right, because we've talked about this before. When I hear this genre and I see this you know, record label, I kind of know what it's kind of going to sound like. And I know the, the level of musicianship and stuff. But this, I think it's, I find it more impressive when musicians who can write this incredibly complex stuff can still scale it back and write simple figures that are catchy and, um, and, almost melodic not not such in the same this is not a melodic album but in a way that it has like a clearly um demonstrative quality that breaks away from that in, in, in a way that isn't just solely dependent on look how fast we are look how impressive this is all that sort of stuff there's a real element of musicality here and that 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 was, that was absolutely superb. mate the doom the kind of do me open in an arterial red as well i wasn't expecting something like that to come in three tracks in that was. I it thought was, that was great. It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable change of pace that I think I think is necessary because if it would have followed like four or five tracks at the same pace, it's hard not to feel that it's repetitive unless mm. you're really, 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 really into that particular type of metal. Um, and they 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 actually mess with the atmospherics a little bit nicely as well on on that track. Like from the from the depths is similar. Like the band's manipulation of groove. And the combine of the fast pace with these like sliced up chunky riffs is just incredible. This is like really, really like if you were trying to like map out, like you were trying to like write down on paper exactly what happens, like you know, like 16 bars of the verse, then eight bars here and stuff, it would be very, very difficult. But there's um it is there's a complexity, but there's also like just a real a real quality of melody and structure to it as well. This is incredibly impressive and a clearly clear pattern. Uh, knocking through the band off this is this is really really good and then breaking it in um breaking into occasional just moments of 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 really beautiful guitar solos and lead sections that are just dotted dotted throughout this album as well there's a there's a real manipulation of of, of musicianship here and i think it's just it's just it is superb and once again unique leader um it sounds phenomenal it jumps out the speaker yeah. It's just be- it's beautifully mixed. It's clean cut. It's just absolutely just polished to perfection. Beautifully put together. Um, the this is this is really like you're right. This is a tech death metal album, but also with so many other features to make it to take it away from that stereotypical blueprint of of its own genre. And that what that's what puts it in that shadow of intent category, which is shadow of intent with toying with black metal and toying with various other genres and motifs. And that's what that's what cognitive are doing here um this is tremendous that it really really is terrific and it, it doesn't it doesn't stop um a, a robberus i think I'll oh my god the, the uroboros mate the opening of that is the opening moment of that song is so furious it's like borderline funny like it, yeah the, the little drum fills in between where the riff stops at random points <laughs> 
Yeah, it's absolutely insane. I'm gobsmacked, mate. I was listening to that on the way home in a taxi, and I was like, "Oh, is this like no? <laughs> I had to pause it and go back. Just re- I'm re-listening to bits, and I don't do that very often. Just where you pause it and you go back, and you're like, I need to hear that riff again. I need to hear that moment again. I need to that feel again. The musicianship here is just tremendous, and it's it's the same. That song is so impressive. <laughs> so impressive. To feed the worms, the little grace oh. notes at the start, right? Mm. So the drum the, the drum fill continues where the riff stops. Over the top of those little hi-hat and little snare bits of result, which show us, which again, love it when metal drummers are like, I, I could do other stuff as well. Hear this like, hear this touch, hear this little fill, this little bit of flair. Love it because you don't get that very often. The riffs can't pretend not to allow it. It's a real like integrity to what he's playing. Let's love it. And then there's a transcendent guitar solo. But the tempo just changes the midway through. And it's like, oh, this is a different song for third. Is it going to be a different song for three minutes? No, it's like a different song for like 15 seconds. And then it just shifts right back. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is absurd. Absolutely absurd. The songwriting here. And again, I ask this question every time. What was writing these like? How do you, oh. how do, you do those? How do you do this? How do you rehearse this? Like, I just, I, I, have, I haven't got a clue. And, and I've been in rehearsal rooms and studios. And I haven't got a single idea. I didn't even manage to map this out and memorize this and then replicate it live. This is this is a this is a Harvard degree in, in metal. This is this is just utterly brilliant. But at the same time, it's not when you hear this, you think, oh, it's gonna be you kind of get an idea in your head that it's gonna be kind of like Vale of Maya, but he- like a little heavier. And it's like if you're not really into like Widdly Diddly guitar stuff, you're actually gonna be put off by it. But it's actually not like that. It's got a real groove and darkness to it. And and then if they can break away from that and have this real gut-punching simplicity when they need to, to remind you that they're also big on breakdowns, beatdowns, and big on stuff that's going to bring people together. Because you should, you know, you shouldn't, you don't want to isolate people. You shouldn't need to have like a, um, a music theory degree to enjoy your music. Hmm. And it, 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 I think this band simultaneously engages the, the the musical expert as well as your regular punter like you can enjoy this from like a a surface level as well because it just punches you in the throat yeah um on top of all the other stuff because malevolent thoughts just return to this like percussive brutality again and you're like all right cool we're back we're back to business it's just this is really it's really great it's just really great the moments where this album lets up on you are so finite like literally this is it's like exhilarating listening to this album because it's it's so 120 mile an hour for for almost its entire run in fact i think that there's like two moments on this album on this entire album where there there is like a legitimate let up and that's like the doomy opening of arterial red and uh destitute as well Uh, which destitute we, we have to talk about because in the midst of everything else that this album does, Destitute's got like a legitimate chorus and it works and the melody's yeah, executed really, really well. Yeah, and, and it's yeah, like, it really how have they done this? Like, literally, they, they've literally just put me on the floor and sledgehammered my head into the pavement for the last 38 minutes. And now they've put like a melodic, like anthemic chorus in and it's really melodious, but 
it really works and it doesn't sacrifice any of their integrity and even if you thought maybe it did sacrifice their intent integrity towards the end of really shredding guitar solo comes in <laughs> that if you were like oh this is a bit simple and then then massively out of nowhere like there's like seven different guitar sounds hitting you from harry lannan and uh, rob wharton who are the two guitarists who we have to have to have to mention because the job they've done on this is insane um my favorite song is tearing tendon from bone oh what a tune mate the this is hell opening scream it is the most it's insanely violent love it so much and then shane joss the vocalist his ability he like changes pitch on this album constantly all the time that's why i thought when i first heard it and i hadn't read any of the line notes or anything like that i was like right, well, there's defo two vocalists here someone's doing the vocals with the guitar and someone's doing like the other like the the main vocal as well and then i was like no it doesn't say there's any backup vocalist it says there's just one vocalist how is he doing this like his his balance and pitch changes so much there's a moment as well um, just after, just after the like the middle eight, the, there's a drum fill that comes back before the big riffs come in, and it's mixed so well together. It fu- the fusion between like the fury blast beat and then the intricate guitar is is so brilliantly balanced. And then the this is hell vocal core comes back in for the closing breakdown. It's incredible. This album, like uh, Will Edwards, a friend of ours, uh, listening to the show, dude. If you're listening to this right now, this album won't have come out yet. Uh, go on Spotify and listen to Cognitive. <laughs> you will absolutely love them. They're so good. Um, th- this album is is absolutely insane. And, you, and if you were kind of worried about Destitute being this kind of melodious, anthemic track of A Hastened Extinction is the last song on the album. And it's back to normal proceedings because it's got this insane open. And then like there's like... Pinch harmonics. Did you pick a little of this? The, on on Hover Heist and Extinction, they put these pinch harmonics that come in just before the blast beats come back in. Yeah. And literally, I'm just floored. Like, I'm, I'm like leaning back in my chair, like I'm being blown at from like a plane engine. Like, I just can't believe this. this is like, it's so furious and technical and aggressive, but like mind spellingly put together. The tenacity, pace, sludge, slam, and fury of this record just baffles me. Um, like all other unique leader records that we've gone on and on about this year, this is a 45-minute adrenaline rush. Um, and possibly, I think this is my favourite unique leader release so far this year. And that is saying something, because I adored Osiris Loss, and I adored Humanity's Last Breath's new record as well. But I think this is my favourite unique leader release so far this year. The breakdowns are insane. The vocal switch-ups are ridiculous. It's apocalyptic extreme metal done almost to perfection. I think Shadow of Intent are the best at this. Uh, Cognitive are literally just like fingernails behind. This is so great. Completely, completely agreed. Imagine reading an album description or band description where it's like... Asaya, Humanity's Last Breath, Shadow of Intent, with the briefest shades of cold orange and slipknot yeah. near the conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how is that not appealing? Um, um, I, I agree with you. It is, um, it is a combination of the apocalyptic and the melodic, um, but the impressive and the insane in equal order. Um, it's just marvellous from start to finish. You could legitimately make a best metal release of 2021 and just do unique leader records and not really feel <laughs> real too bad about it. Like you could legitimately make a case that it's it's having the best year 
of of any record label um in in our in our alternative oh my landscape God, yeah, so yeah, forth. yeah yeah uh, the, and everyone else is also by the way having a terrific year as well but it's just worth noting that for our particular brand of metal um i have not spotted a mistake so far from unit leader every 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 punch has just been well met it's 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 absolutely tremendous this is a victory for the genre as well um that appears to be just pushing forward um every every release appears to be a fantastic step forward and an affirmation that some of the musicians and some of the talent that is coming out of 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 this industry at the moment is just it's just mind-blowing it really, really is um, because this is this is another absolutely marvelous and wonderful release, incredibly impressive, really, really good. So, this is where I think we move up a notch in terms of something that I think is going to be even more interesting for us to discuss. Before my interview with Lee McKinney of Born of Osiris comes in. Sam, we are going to close out the show with Aphidian Eyes Desolate. Uh, it's out on July 16th for a season of Mist Records. Uh, they're something of an Icelandic uh, supergroup uh, with members from Hellfro, Beneath, Unmiser, and Atrium making up the members. Sam, I kind of chucked this band in for review because I knew uh, I always like to uh, do two album reviews. So I knew Cognitive was coming out. The rest of the release schedule looked kind of dry. Couldn't find anything else that was shouting out that I'd like to discuss with you. So I had a look through. I thought, oh, right, okay. I'll, I'll chuck this in, see what we're saying here. Uh, a bit of, like, extreme metal tech death. We'll see what's going on. Um, dude, this album is absolutely insane. Like, where we've just talked about Cognitive as this, like, insanely brutal face-burning album, this is, like technical astonishment like i can't believe this album sam this has literally like imploded my mind the stuff that happens on this album you're gonna have a better idea of what goes on than me i can't believe this album this is ridiculous this is daft not by much chris because i don't think this is humanly possible (laughs) mate i can't Um, believe this album what on earth i i couldn't sit a person down next to me and explain note for note what they're doing um because it would be kind of like the equivalent of like me also trying to explain how a rocket works yeah i would just be like (laughs) (laughs) it goes up there yeah because that's what that's what's going on with what's going on here and it's like that that, lots of that lots of that but bro like um i've heard some ambitious songwriting in my time but this oh this this is like if you locked the members of periphery in a room and just gave them like opium amounts of cocaine for 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 like an 18 month period and then just 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 press play and stop a record record whatever they came out with and they just put that out it is absolutely absurd the opening track here diamonds which is also their lead single um, it is just ridiculous the way this jumps out of the better than mix is an incredibly intense tech death song um immediately it's just head spinning within 35 seconds where every new figure you've forgotten almost what the previous four bars are doing and by the time you've settled into what's going on now there's something else happening it's absolutely extraordinary it's it's tech death like we said previously but we said oh you know there's a touch of like code orange and slipknot this is like 
there's a touch of like Dragon Force in this. Yeah, yeah. With the, 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 the guitar tone and like this power metal type of speed metal, children of bottom, but like much faster and 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 just much more like sort of technical and and pacey as, as well. Um, honestly, in my, literally in my first three lines, I'm how the hell do you play this live? Um, it feels like half a dozen songs packed into one. By the third song, this is like a band's entire discography in terms of individual riff ideas and transitions and stuff. Um, like, <laughs> with, like, it's, it's extraordinary. With 51 years after after metal impl- uh, metal has reached, the, the way that we've got to hear from Black Sabbath is just extraordinary. I would love to sit Tony Iommi down and press play on this. Yeah. I, I'd love just to, just to hear... It's like this is this came from what you did fifty one years ago, and now listen to it because it's just absolutely extraordinary. And and when I when I started hearing Spiral to Oblivion, then I started thinking, okay, this isn't like Periphery plus drugs. This is like Megadeth, Dave Mustaine, and every guitarist Megadeth I've ever employed. But on fast forward, that's what it sounds like because this was like, you know, Hangar eighteen by Megadeth. Yeah, where it's less of a song and more like guitar solos featuring. Um, some some lyrics yeah it felt it felt not quite like that but kind of just like a super supercharged version of that because the the riff and the transitions here are extraordinary there's a moment in spiral to oblivion as well i've never really heard anything like this um where there's no real chorus apart from that lead riff that acts like the chorus the melody to those instrumental guitars i can't believe them they're so brilliant back every thought of 40 seconds or so right for like four bars and that acts as a brief chorus without any lyrics and then it just goes back into verse with you know with vocals and transitions and stuff like that um this is less of like a musical roller coaster and literally trying to like ride a tornado from from like a listener's standpoint because the way that it just diverts and shifts from place to place is is honestly extraordinary um from a we've talked about this before from a cognitive standpoint cognitive standpoint their songwriting was incredible from this in terms of a degree of difficulty, I don't think I've ever heard anything like this. No, I've never That's heard anything like this. In terms of the in terms of the way that it's written. But at the same time, Chris, I don't know about you, because we've talked about this before. I got about two thirds of the way through this and I did have the briefest moment where I thought, is this silly? Is this unnecessary? Mm. Um, and, I, and, I, and I imagine to myself, well, if I'm thinking that, I reckon Chris has also thought this. Um, because we've had those conversations before where it's like, do they need to have done? But then I listened to it again and I thought, you know what? It is, it is bold and it is ambitious and it is like you laugh out loud sometimes at transitions. But at the same time, if you can do this and you can write songs like this and this is clearly where the band's strength is, who am I <laughs> to turn around and judge whether this is appropriate or not? Because this is this is just insane. If you can do this and you are capable of doing this, it's perfectly fine. Um there are moments where I do feel, all right, it's it's excessive in terms of like the way that the songs are written because it's almost like they get bored of the whole idea of what a song is and just abandon their ideas within 35 seconds of another. And it is tough. Um, if you were like, if I played this to just a regular metal fan, they'd find it they'd find it a tough listen. There's it's not any it's not a um, a welcoming album. Do you know what I mean? And I, and, I say, and I say that with, with love in my heart for this type of music. But then again, I'll temper my own conversation again. Maybe it's not meant to be. And maybe it's meant to just appeal to the certain type of metal fan that me and you are both 
dipping our toe in and delving into because I know lots of people that would love this. You talked about cognitive with Edwards. You play guitar, listen to this. Oh my God, Will. Yes, also listen to this. (laughs) And probably put down your guitar sadly for a while. Um, (laughs) And and the same with our friend Jim Hall, who loves breakdowns and guitar solos, who would also thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy this. So where do you sit on this in terms of like, is it necessary? Is it not necessary? Should Should it be more appealing to the regular metal fan? Does it need to be? Where do you sit on that? I think this is incredible. I I think I, I think this you do become desensitized to it by the time you get to like enslaved in a desolate swarm you, you are a bit you do start to become desensitized to the insanity of the complexity of what's in front of you and I had to like remind myself of the difficulty and the complexity and how obtuse what I was actually hearing was because by that by you by the time you get to like enslaved in a desolate swarm which I think is track seven or eight. You've heard this for a long time now, and you've heard all these re- like these guitar sections that, that are actually legitimately difficult to understand. So, for, for, for the people out there who would be like, we don't need this, this gets a bit silly, I would understand that, but I personally don't agree, because I think that this is so difficult, it's so brilliantly put together, that even if this is an album that you only listen to once a year, because it's such an insane amount to swallow at once... What an amazing 45 minutes, right? Because you spoke about Spiral to Oblivion and I listened to that track because that's the second track and it, it comes after Diamonds. And I, Diamonds is this insane, intricate, progressive metal sound. And I thought, well, there's no way they're going to do Diamonds for 40 plus minutes, surely. Surely they've put Diamonds first because it's a big explosive opening and then I'll calm down a bit and chuck another track like Diamonds in later on. But actually... If anything, Diamonds feels light. <laughs> yeah! Like, oh my God! I was going to say, like Diamonds is actually the precursor because as soon as Spiral to Oblivion starts... There's this like death chord drum rhythm that comes in behind the wizarding guitars, and you're like, oh, actually, so this album is going to be this for 40 minutes. I'll tell you what this album sounds like, Sam. You know, buried alive. You know, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spelled B E double R I E D. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like listening because, like, buried alive. The the people that run that channel or the guy that runs that channel, I'm not entirely sure. You know, they'll release like insane, insane like playthroughs. Like, and you'll be like, wow, how have they done that? That's amazing. This is an album of that. It's an album of Buried Alive, but it's more, it's obviously Buried Alive is just instrumental. This has got like, John's vocals are great, like when they're coming, but they're, for me, John's vocals, like, they are performed well. John Olgerson is the vocalist. Like the the vocals are great and they do fit in well, but but they are they are kind of secondary in this record, and, and that's because of the absolute absurdity of of the guitar and drum sound. On Storm Aglow, <laughs> I started laughing when I was listening to it. The the technical tempo on that, you start with Strab Deathcore, like kind of Winds of Plague, early Whitechapel. And then when the guitar comes in, it, it's just a level of craftsmanship that gets put in that that you just can't comprehend. You know, where, where have I heard this before? I've never heard anything like it's like Dragon Force with the biggest amount of distortion you could possibly find. Like, but for me, the absolute show steer the summer. And the mama on the album, I was like, no, I can't believe this sequential descent. I, oh, oh God, I. Do, I would need what I want is like a proper like wicked guitar player like Will Edwards 
to sit with me and listen to that song. I'd be like, right, I think this is what they're doing here. Because I don't think he'd know. Not any, any slight to him. I don't think anyone would know, apart from the musicians themselves who've played them. Like, I don't get that song. That brutal opening. The, the cowbell, I love a cowbell sound on the drums, bro. You know me. The cowbell sound on the drums that drops into this thick slam metal. And then the lead guitar comes back in. Blows your mind away again. And then... The, the sounds it starts achieving in front of its rhythm is like a song in itself. And then there's like a groove metal section. The riffs start galloping across instead of instead of shredding about the three quarter way through the song after the middle eight. The riffs start galloping instead of shredding. And then these beautiful lead lines come back in and it's like this is too much. This is I can't. I don't, what on earth is this? Then there's an absolutely insane instrumental that ends the track as well. And it's like, I can't believe this. I don't understand what's happening. I've never heard a band that uses guitar solos as like a songwriting motif rather than just a guitar solo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you just like, when you just like Metallica, they have a guitar solo and that's just the part where the guitar solo is. And then it builds up and goes back into another riff. But this is like the guitar solo is being used in the same way that we use breakdowns as like a like a, a figure that we go back to almost like a chorus. Oh my and god! Piece to where the band's taking a break. It's absurd. You've made a great point there. There's not a lot of breakdowns on this album. No, but there isn't. but it, it's crushing, isn't it? Like it's. Mm. There's not a lot of breakdowns, but there's so many set pieces that you could pull to. Oh, that bit's coming in a second. Wait around for that bit, which is basically what a breakdown is for, really. The breakdown usually is for the is, is for the. Oh, wait till you hear this bit. Yeah, but in tapping your mouth on the album. Yeah, literally. But in this record, there's like fifty of them. Um, and even something that me and you love, you know, as soon as you put an acoustic opening into a song, me and you are in. And Captive Infinity does yeah, I that. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Captive Infinity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The moment I heard that acoustic, I was like, yes, lads. And then, right, yes. mate, it's hilarious because on Captain Infinity, acoustic come in, I was like, buzzing, me and Sam would love this. And I was like, I know what they're going to do, though, in a second. I know what's going to happen. And, mate, it does exactly what I thought was going to happen. just happens. explodes out in this horrible speed death. It's just, mate, and there's a bit where they go full slip, not as well, in terms of the heavy rhythm fuse with the double kick pedals. Oh, God. I, mate, what is this album? What is this? It's, it's, it's absurd, mate. It's It sounds like the, the, the very most extreme version of metal in terms of, like, what a human body can do from a musician's yeah. standpoint. Like, like legit, yeah. legitimately. Like, this feels like the metal equivalent to watching, like, Usain Bolt yeah, or something. Yeah. And it's like, I had no idea that people could do that. And that's what it feels like here. Like a lit when you growing up, you listen to like ACDC and stuff, and it's impressive. But like I can understand how his fingers got there. Yeah. Like yeah. watching Slash do like like play guitar solos and like whatever, and like watching like Kirk Hammett and, and Dave Mustaine. Like it's impressive. I couldn't do it myself, but I understand what you know what's going on. This I can I can barely understand this as like a. It's just he's like a passing person, and I I've I've played drums for like thirteen years, <laughs> like, and I have never felt so inadequate listening to <laughs> listening to metal fact man in my life than, than this. Um, this is, oh man, if if I said before that cognitive is like doing a Harvard degree in metal songwriting, this is like being an astronaut in yeah. metal songwriting. This is, this is like a nuclear physicist of metal songwriting. This is just unbelievable. Yeah, mate, this is like theory of relativity, like for metal. It's insane. Yeah, this is this is writing theses that change our view of what gravity is. 
this out. I want to talk about the, the final track, which is appropriately named Jupiter because of how fucking massive it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, bro, it's huge. Um, what's big, lads? Jupiter, that'll do. Um, the best solo on the record is on that song, by the way. The first two minutes of this are extraordinary. Yeah. The first two minutes of this are just extraordinary. Um, listen, this is the way I wrote it because I'm, I'm writing it as I'm listening to it. From the solos to the riff right out to the first solo and then the sections that follow. Can you tell how frantic I was listening to that song? Yeah, yeah. punctuation. There is not. There's only a full stop from like track three listening to this album. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't sound like that they have done that either. It just, it's just absolutely extraordinary. Um, and there's like, so appear to be used as like separate transitional riffs almost. I've never heard, I've never heard anything like this. This is, this is tech death and also it's prog but it's not prog at the same time because it's progressive but it's not lengthy um because all this stuff is squeezed into a four or five minute section because it's so fast um it's just unbelievable and then it's the same one with her on the vine which is which then reminds you that if we wanted to we could slow this down and write a song about the galaxy or the milky way or whatever the fuck we wanted to do and it would be beautiful yeah, because there's dissonance here, and there's a beautiful section at the, in the opening on this one as well that they could do. They could do absolutely what they want, and I, me and you took the mic out of um, what was the alien core band that just replaced. Oh, the brings the Saturn. Nobody. Brings the Saturn. Who I, who I think this album, I think Ophidian are much better than. Um, not not no disrespect to Rings of Saturn, they're a great accomplished band, but I much prefer this. But the reason that I was about to say that is. And no offence, the vocalists, vocals are very helpful. I would have enjoyed this without them. Yeah. Um, because the musicianship is that is that good. Um, and that's not like any disparaging comment on the vocalist at all. I think he does a superb job because um, he keeps he keeps the songs moving and he provides some sense of some sense of structure, which is almost non-existent <laughs> through this because there's there's, there's <laughs> no there's no there's no sense of there's no sense of structure um, whatsoever. Um, you know when you were talking about teaching Dracula for the first time, Chris, and you're yeah. like, "What the hell's going on?" Does yeah. this feel like that a little bit, like the yeah. musician equivalent to sort of like a complex piece of literature where you're like, "Hold on, where's that and who's that?" And it all starts to it takes a couple of minutes, and then you start to piece things together as you're thinking about it. Yeah, especially for layered, me, layered, especially for me who hasn't got like the the straight up musical knowledge. Like I can talk on here about what I think is good and what I think is bad, but you've got like the the musical knowledge. I haven't got that, dude. I could not even hazard a guess what time signature this is in. I ain't got a clue. I haven't got a foggiest idea. It can't be four four. Even if you were right, you'd be you'd be wrong fifteen seconds later because it changes. Yeah. But how would you even? How would you? How would you even? How would you even know? Like, oh, it just shifts. Insane. I tell you what, this is like animals as leaders. This is ridiculous because of Toes in the Bar Seas, one of the great guitarists we've got. This is Animals as Leaders with the dial turned way up. I mean, this is insane. I can't believe this album exists. It makes, it makes um, periphery sound pedestrian, mate. It does, periphery. yeah. It does, periphery. yeah. It's, 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 it's honestly insane. Do you remember if I turned around to you in 2017 <laughs> and I said, mate, and we walked out of that show in 2017, like, like frothing at the mouth and rightly so about those musicians. And I said to you, in four years, there's going to be bands that are like not even big bands, like this band that we reviewed. And that's the blow the musicianship would throw out the water from a songwriting stand up. Yeah. 
you, no you would you would not believe me. You would no absolutely way. not believe me. You were like, I thought no, that the periphery is the farthest we could possibly go. This is extraordinary. I keep saying that word extraordinary because it really, really is. If any metal fan who loves this, if you listen to this and you're just you know, and you're just like a, a knock loose, you want chunky breakdown, stuff slowed down. This isn't for you. Yeah. But no. if you if you love um progressive or guitar led music in any capacity, you're learning guitar as an instrument. And you just want to hear something that just sort of makes you, well, wow, this is exactly what that is. Because really, me and you, I think you mentioned the word desensitized earlier when you talk about cognitive. And that's a nice word in general. Me and you were desensitized to metal and the impressiveness that metal comes mm-hmm. with. And a lot, I only think a lot of metal fans are in general. If you can't play 30 second notes with your feet, if you're a drummer in metal, you're not very good. And that's just the line. Uh, you're not good enough for that genre. And the, the the bar is set so high for these musicians. So to say that five years down the road for me and you listen to metal together as a friendship, and then three or four years of doing a podcast like this, I want the listener to understand how significant it is for me and you, who have heard literally every variation of this type of stuff, to say how impressive this is from a musician's standpoint, to be blown away at this stage, I think is extraordinary and also incredibly reassuring that metal can still continue to do that. Mm. Mate, there's no way we'll review a more insanely complex record than this this year or maybe ever. Like, I, I, there's no, I, there's no way we'll ever review. Maybe we'll, maybe a band will come along that is as complex as this. Surely this is where the bar gets set. Like, surely now, it's openly pretentious. Like, it, it's it, you couldn't possibly say this album isn't pretentious. Like, it, it really goes out of its way to be as obtuse as possible, but it doesn't alienate me by doing so. Whereas Rings of Saturn, I feel like I feel like does alienate me sometimes. Um. This could have been instrumental, and I'd still really enjoyed it. Adding, enjoyed it, sorry. Adding these vocals, and this is easily one of the most impressive moments of 2021. Like, I am blown away by this record. I cannot believe the stuff that goes on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name, I'm gonna name the musicians on this because I've never listened to any of the bands that they're in, and I'm going to now. Um, but John Olgerson, vocalist, uh, Ragnar Severson is drummer, uh, Simon Thorolfson and Danny Connorson uh, is the guitarist, and Pordor Hermanson is the bassist. Lads. You've absolutely, I can't believe what you've done here. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm absolutely like shell shocked at what this album holds. Um, just like one final thing from me the, the bit about this record that I love the most it happens on, even though Sequential Descent is my favorite song, on Enslaved in a Desolate Swarm. One of the notes I wrote is, This is more Black Dahlia murder than it is Rings of Saturn for, for that brief moment, which is a necessary switch up. And it does this neat little trick where it sounds like it's going to break out into into guitar wizardry, but it quickly brings the main tempo in. And what why I've mentioned that note there is because because as I was typing that, I had no idea what was coming. Like I was like, what are they going to do here? Like, what is this? What's happening? What is this? What does this sound like? Who does this sound like? Uh, well, now that bit sounds like this band, but this bit sounds like that band. And what type of signature is this? And like, I've never listened to an album that, where I felt so clueless and just genuinely didn't have a clue what was going on, any kind of structural idea at all. Um, this album, I can't believe it. It's absolutely daft. Um, and Sequential Descent, that song, that is hilarious. That song is, I can't, 
I can't I can't even begin with it. Uh, this album is just ridiculous. Ophidian yeah. um, Eye Desolate. You, if you are into technical metal, it is an absolute must listen. You have to hear it just to just to say you've experienced it. It is out of this world insane. Completely, completely agree. There's a few of our friends. I mean, we interviewed the lads from Monasteries earlier this year, and or like last year, or somewhere through lockdown, it's at the times melted into each other. They would love this. They would love the two albums Defo, we've today. Defo, Defo, mate. Without a shadow of a doubt, like yeah, hundred percent. That is where we're going to leave off episode 74 before my interview with Lee McKinney comes in. Thank you so much for sticking around. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Um, we are going to be back in two weeks' time. Remember, um, we're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, we will be there. The best way to support us is by subscribing or following us, depending on the service that you're using. Follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Now is my time for and is the intertime sorry for my interview with Lee McKinney from Born of Osiris. We're going to be back in two weeks. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Lee McKinney, guitarist in Born of Osiris. Dude, I kind of said to you before we just started the show how sick this was for me. Thank you so much for your time, man. This is really cool for me to be doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. As I said, like uh, after the year off, we just had, I mean, the whole world had a year and a half, really. It's just like one of those things that's just super exciting. So thanks for having me. Thanks for your time as well, man. I appreciate it. We're short on time here, so I'm going to get us rallying straight away. I mean, I'd like us to kind of um, take a retrospective look first and go back a little bit. Um, you were like really young when you first joined Born of Osiris. I think you may, may have even been like 17 when the band got signed. Um, at that point, there's no way you could have known the great career that, that was waiting for you. But how soon into your time in the band did you feel like this wasn't just a cool thing to do in your teens and it was like, oh no, this is going to be like my career and I'm going to live out my dreams with this band? I feel like I kind of had accepted no other like outcome, you know, no, like it just was what I decided to do. Like I had a real supportive father growing up who was just like, one thing he said to me was, listen, the only person that can stop you from accomplishing your dream is the man in the mirror, yourself. There's just no way that if you work hard, you won't get what you want. While all your friends are partying on the weekends, if you keep fucking working, you'll get what you want. So I kind of had it in my head that this was going to work. I think that, um, when a big thing was for me was when Sumerian record, uh, Records offered us our contract. So at this point in time in Chicago, we're a local band and we're doing our thing and it's us and After the Burial and Vela Maya, that was like our local scene. It was super cool. And um, and we were like, maybe we can get on Vela Maya's label that they had at the time, which was, I forget what it's called, but it was like a Chicago thing. We're like, we'll get to that and then, then maybe we can get to Sumerian afterwards. And then boom, Sumerian just hit us up. And so that was kind of a moment where like, oh, we didn't have any like, stepping stones to get there kind of just happened. And um, that was a moment because we were super big Sumerian fans and they only had a couple bands. Like we were just faceless fans. And so, yeah, you want to be a part of Sumerian. And we're still one of the first Sumerian bands, even though we were like fans of Sumerian beforehand, you know? So that was kind of the moment is, is getting our record contract. As you said, I was in high school, I was 17 and had to wait till my 18th birthday to sign it, which was cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that whole time of my life kind of felt, you know, surreal and, um, Definitely something I'll never forget. You mentioned Sumerian there, and I think the relationship between band and label is really fascinating. And you've been on Sumerian for pretty much the band's like entire discography, or at least the discography since you've been in the band. Um, what is it about the relationship with them that has made you build this kind of career-long partnership? And at no point does it look like you have considered looking elsewhere yeah, so like I said, they were kind of our dream scenario. And what was cool is like we, 
I like overdrafted my bank account to fly them to uh, to Chicago to see a performance that our, we kind of put on. Like it was our buddy Haas, um, but we put this show literally on to get Samarian to come watch and flew them out on our do- like on our dollar. Like this was uh, a goal. So in that situation, a couple things could happen. They could come and they could be assholes, right? But they weren't. They came out. Um, they were incredible people and. We just bonded right away, went to like a Chili's or some shit. And we're like, this is going to go down. And basically the thing is, is like what we realized then is these were incredible people. So Ash at this point in time, the owner of Sumerian was um, working out of his mom's kitchen. You know what I mean? And um, so what I think is cool is like they came up, they brought us up. But as Born grew, Sumerian grew, some of their biggest bands signed because they were like Born fans. And so there's all these cool things that led to like Ash being the best man at my wedding. And then it led to like, now I'm making music for his movies. And so like what I noticed and the reason I bring that up is because like they get bigger and bigger all the time. They have Smashing Pumpkins now. I don't even know yeah, how much we met. Crazy. I mean, you know, monetarily, like do they need each one of us like they used to? Who knows? Point <laughs> is, as they rise up more and more, they bring the people with them. You know, when he's in the movies now, he's bringing me still to make the music. And so yeah. it's like... um this is, you know, everyone says it's family, it's family and, you know, but uh, it's what it is. Like, you know, like they go above and beyond a label. Like they'll go so like, I missed like one interview last week and Amanda, you know, high up in Samaria now just freaking out. Like they don't have to, they can really just take yeah. our label or our, our album, put it out in stores, give us our, like, you know what I mean? But they go above and beyond. Um, and it's just made for a real relationship. I mean, you got to imagine even going too far. It could be annoying at times. Like we've been like, leave us alone for a second. Let us write this album. We'll get back to you, you know, but that's the ebbs and flow of a, a relationship, both friendship and business. And yeah, just thankful for it. Well, you know, that's really cool to hear because there's lots of like famous case of like the kind of dream scenario for a band to be on a label and then they're on there and then it's like, they feel like it's possibly the worst decision they've ever made and they end up regretting that decision and the kind of the dream is kind of dangled in front of them and then once they sign the contract it's like oh you want this we've put that over there now because you you need to make us three records in two years because you just signed this contract and it, like, it's really cool to hear you speak about Samiri in a way that's literally completely opposite to that because that is kind of hard to find sometimes yeah I feel like we're lucky you know I mentioned a few minutes ago like we were going to go to this label as a stepping stone to get to Samiri now that I know record contracts and I know the industry, that just wouldn't have gone down like that because it seems like once they get you, they get you. Now, granted, Samarian's not like this, but like I see um, just how like it wouldn't have been easy to just go to this label and then get to Samarian. I think Savale had to get bought out by Samarian from that label. That was a whole mess. I wouldn't speak on their past because I don't know exactly, but something along the lines of that happened. But um, yeah, no, it, it turned out lucky and uh, you know, we're even, to the point where I think after this record, it's time to talk contracts again. So, awesome. um, yeah. Uh, newborn of Osiris record, Angel Alien. Uh, we're going to get into it in specific detail a little bit later on. First of all, amazing record, just like I expected. Um, with your side project, Infinite Mind, though, do you feel like you left the recording process of that record as like an even better musician? Like, was there elements of that experience that you thought, oh, I need to bring this straight to the Born of Osiris table. This would really work for us. Yeah. So, like, from the beginning, I think Discovery was the first one that I started having a hand in, like, the the studio aspects of the band, not just the songwriting. So, 
that one um, is when I first started. And with Jason, our other guitar player at the time, we started like editing guitars on Wednesdays. Like that was the studio off day. So we'd go in on Wednesdays. And so I'm, now Discovery comes around, I'm editing guitars. Then, you know, I don't know albums in chronological order, but it's just been a while. But, um, you know, the next one comes around and now I'm tracking bass or something in my studio and, edit, and editing guitars. And like the next one came around and it's like, now I'm tracking guitars and bass and keys. And then as they go on, and then now um, I did Infinite Mind was the first one, which was my solo record, as you mentioned. And it, uh, it's the first one where I did every single thing. So walked into my studio, Osiris Studios, recorded every single instrument, engineered it, edited it, mixed and mastered and left the studio. One person walked in, one person walked out. That's what you get. Right. I think there's something like really honest about that product. Like, sure, I could find Nolly and he, maybe he can make it sound, mix it a little better. I, I do have, I feel very blessed with my mixing skills and learning from people over the years. But you know what I mean? There's always that better guy. And I could have yeah. found that better guy. But there's something that has such integrity about the fact that one man walked into a room, created a product, and you're getting exactly that. What I heard when I left, you're not getting, it's not touched by anyone else. So the learning process there was, well, that was the first major release, if you want to call it major release, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. a Sumerian release beginning to end done by me. Um, and it did give me this confidence. It gave me this level of like, because when you take the whole thing in your hands, there are a couple little X's and O's you got to make sure you have figured out because no one's your safety net. Whereas in the past, like there was this one line before it hit the, the CD shelves and that was the guy mixing and mastering or that was yeah. this. There was always that safety net, but when you take it away, you have to just figure out those last few things. And I was able to do it then. This came out super inspired and uh, definitely led to Angel or Alien where I did more than I've ever done. I just didn't do drums and um, um, vocals. So in terms of like the creation of Angel or Alien, I have got a few questions there for you because I, I think the role that you take uh, is really, really interesting that I'd love to pick apart. Uh, but in terms of Angel or Alien's like runtime, unless I'm forgetting an album, it's the longest record you've ever written. Um, in fact, I know that the Inter Eternal Rain was like a re-release of sorts, but Angel or Alien is longer than the Eternal Rain and the Simulation combined. <laughs> Um, <laughs> when architects were asked about the length of their new record, they said that basically they'd written a load of songs and thought, well, someone's bound to enjoy them all. So let's just throw them all on there. Who cares? Was that the case for Angel or Alien? Or was there something like more precise behind the decision? I know you had some songs left over from the simulation. So were you picking those songs up and being like, well, we've already got six for Angel or Alien. And then you wrote some more as well. Or was there like a really precise thought behind the decision for Angela Rallian's length. Yeah, so you're pretty spot on right there. Basically, um, we, so there's, okay, there's, the, as time goes on a musician, there's a, do, a new model where on the radio, you have everyone goes single, 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 mm -hmm. and every song gets its attention. And then when they put the record out, you've probably heard the whole damn thing because mm -hmm. you're Dua Lipa, whatever. But um, then there's, um, you know, then there's like the other mindset and Bring Me the Horizon is a great band. I think following that, like a lot of singles. And I think that's cool. So what I've also noticed is People like, you know, maybe the album is an hour long and people listen to your album, they purchase in their car, but their drives are usually 25 minutes or less or 30 minutes or less. And then they don't hear the end of the album as much as the beginning, or maybe they just go on iTunes and click the ones with the stars next to it or whatever. So the mindset was this going into simulation. We had 16 songs. So we were going to do simulation part one and part two. And the goal here was this, if you break them into two, uh, bodies of eight songs, each song will have its moment. It won't be 16 where people forget about some of the end or whatever. So again, this is the mindset at this moment in time, because as you can see, we've strayed from that. But the thought process was this. 
Um, each song gets its time because everyone will listen to it because there's only eight of them to listen to. Yeah. And and basically another process happens is when you put out a record, you're like up here, like in the community. Like even if people know who Born of Cyrus is, when the new record is coming out, we're like just a little bit more talked about or in the spotlight, if you will. So the goal was to put Simulation 1 out, which came out as the simulation, and then maybe like four or five months later, drop the second one. So you right. get all the songs pretty quickly, but each song will get its moment. And instead of coming up like this to the new record and down, and then a year goes by for the next one, it was like up, and then right when we're coming down, we'll hit him with the second one. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. like my favorite part about being in a band is writing songs and being in the studio. I love traveling, I love touring, I'm blessed to do it. But my favorite thing on planet Earth is writing. And so by time, simulation, the next one was like about ready to come out. We already had, let's see, 14. So we had six more songs already. So we're like, you know what? We want to do some things. We want to move Nick to guitar, who was on bass at the time, but he is a guitar player. We can get into that if you want, depending. Um, but we wanted to do that. We also wanted to kind of switch up our artwork for once because like, we've always kind of had this, I would say, a couple of things that you would recognize of Born, like the, the sand and the castles and the pyramids are like- Yeah, the, I was gonna mention body. this. Yeah, the yeah. Cameron Grant style bodies of like in the in space. And so there was def definitive Born of Osiris artwork um, and and you are starting to see it in styles of it kind of everywhere. I kind of see a lot of people using the same artists and blah blah blah. I'm not saying it's because of us or whatever, but let's we're like let's make it a part in our in our uh, art, which was another long process we can talk about. But basically, we just wanted to make it a new whole thing, not simulation tied, new concept, new artwork, just new era of the band. So you're right that um, eight of the songs were simulation two, six of the songs were. Um, new in the time that it took from simulation A and to when simulation B would have came out. Ah, right. Okay, that is that is mega interesting. And I now I'm trying to think in my head what songs I think were the new ones. I'm going <laughs> to see later on if I can guess them. Um, I mean, because like, I've been a Born of Osiris fan for like quite a long time, and one of the things like I've always loved about Born of Osiris is that like I can always expect at least a seven or eight out of ten at least from every record and it's going to be a progressive metal album that's done really really well and angel or alien is that but i've got to say for me just as a personal listener it's the first time that during listening to a born of osiris record that i started to find it really difficult to predict what was going to come next um some of the ideas that are thrown around are like really really like fascinating interesting and i know you've tried different things before such as like the intro and under the gun but what mm -hmm. made now the perfect time to try like little moments like where the saxophone comes in on poster child etc what made now the time yeah so i think one of the bulk of it is we have a third bulk songwriter so born Osiris takes all of us to make the songs however like the beginning of a song comes from me and it'll be or cameron our drummer right so I will, if it's from me, I will present you a song that's complete in structure. It has drums, guitars, bass, keyboards. It's a full thing, right? Or Cameron will do the same thing, our drummer, historically. Well, now that Nick is in the band, since the simulation is when this started, he wrote songs for simulation too. Um, it's three of us. So I think since the simulation, you're getting a little bit more uh, styles thrown at you. Whereas he came in at the end of the simulation. So there's like a couple songs that are like Nick based in the simulation where in this one, from the ground up, it's we all three were submitting ideas. And then as that happens, obviously Joe gets it, changes the keyboards, makes the tones cooler, uh, you know, whatever happens, you know, they do their vocals, blah, 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 you know what I mean? But um, 
it's just that like as far as where the bulk of the ideas start it's three brains instead of two right now which is awesome wow. and um he brings this like lamb of god like fucking architecty like totally different things i just said but different styles to the table as far as the saxophone um if you've heard infinite mind which is my solo record it's like very uh, heavy on saxophone so i i did say one man walk in a room and one walk out um that's the only instrument i didn't play so adrian uh his name is adrian he's from a band called the mars volta and he played saxophone on infinite mind um we were actually this is when i was performing infinite mind now with uh with animals as leaders in europe and then in california for nam and stuff so it's adrian and me traveling around performing infinite mind and um this is like january of 2020 and um so the record's pretty done at this point in time they're just finishing up vocals in california while i'm there performing and so we're just down the street and we're like, Adrian, you should come and play saxophone on the new Born record. And he's like, cool. So we stopped by for like three hours and played on like four songs. So cool. Um, and so that was kind of just a happy accident. Dude, I absolutely adore Powers to Child. Like when, when I heard that instrumental slash like sax edge, right, I was like, wow, this is like amazing. I can't believe. I've got no idea where this record's going to go from here. Uh, did you choose to put that in as the opening track as kind of like this immediate left field punch that would leave like you kind of hardened born of Osiris fans being like really taken aback, like, whoa, what's going to happen next? And this is so unlike anything we'd usually hear from Born. Poster Child or the saxophone or? The post, sorry, yeah, Poster Child. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's tough with, with deciding the singles, we wanted to do a few things. One was we wanted to hit heavy again, because with songs like Under the Gun, which go over incredible for Born of Cyrus Live, by the way, like, uh, you, you get the metalheads that are like, what is this? This feels a little softer than I'm used to than the blast beats or whatever it is. So we just want to remind people right off the bat, like, hey, we're still fucking heavy. This record is actually potentially heavier than we've been in a while with the addition of Nick and his style. And um, so... White now, we wanted to hit out the gate um, heavy. Remind you, hey, we're here heavy. Um, Angel or Alien as the second single was like, hey, we're still like epic. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. like, Post a Child is like this new age sound, like this new vibe. And um, we wanted to show in the front two songs, like, hey, there's guitar solos and shit for the people that think the Discovery is the only good album we ever put out, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just want to show people like, hey, like we're still fucking here doing this thing. Uh, Post a Child, you're right. It is like the somewhat left field and people will hear it really soon um you know and uh i think it's it's fresh it's a fresh sound for the band it's like a it feels new the song itself like a new style of us um it's uh heavily like nick inspired so like it's a new sound for the band in general just because it comes from a mind that hasn't been here our whole career what i think is cool about nick being in the band now is he was always a born of osiris fan from the beginning so imagine like us in the band since the beginning, me and Cameron and the guys, like we think we see Born of Osiris this way because we've seen it, been in it, we see it one way. Yeah. But how cool is it to have someone who watched Born of Osiris progress and says, oh, I wish they did that, or I wish they did that, or I wish they did that from an outside yeah. point of view, now coming in and saying, hey, check this out. Like, this is what I think, I represent another part. I represent coming as a fan saying, this is what I always wish you would have done. And now that's in integrated into us. And so it's, I think that has to do with Poster Child and I think it has to do with new sounds that you're hearing on this record. I saw in interviews after the simulation how you'd kind of really obsessed yourself about uh, the simulation in terms of you producing and engineering it. 
And to be honest, like as a fan reading it, it sounded to me like a really exhausting experience for you and that you were really glad it was over. Not in the sense of like you didn't enjoy that experience, but it was just really like you would really throwing yourself in the middle of that melting pot and you were kind of glad to no longer be there. Um, in terms of the writing production process for Angela Alien, once again, you've kind of thrown yourself in the middle, uh, which I fully expected that you would do. Um, but was there anything new or, or, or different that you tried this time to kind of alleviate that insane pressure you were putting on yourself? Because like I say, coming out of the simulation, it sounded like you were really glad it was over. Yeah, so you're exactly right. And you know, a lot of people haven't even noticed what you've noticed, so I applaud you for that. But I would, it, so I run Osiris Studios, which is just my studio business. And it's had a hand in every record from, you know, but it wouldn't be like all the guys would come to it. You know, I would do some things there and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So when it came to the simulation, they wanted to do it in Chicago, which is where the, we all grew up, but it's where the bulk of them still live. So the frustrating part about that was, I had to take like the core elements of my studio, like the PC and the monitors and like, like just the things that I absolutely fucking needed and drive to Chicago. We rented like a, a rehearsal space. It, it was soundproofed. It was a full studio, but it was in a rehearsal space building. Um, and I just slept in the rehearsal space, like on a couch and watched my entertainment was like, and, and, and I would track during the day, track the guys and at night and they would want to leave um, when they're done. And then that's when, then that's, I had to edit. You know what I mean? And so it was exhausting. It was rewarding because it, when it comes out and does well or, if, you know, you feel like it's it's anything like you put more effort into it. The high is higher. If it went bad, that would have been felt worse, too. It's like the high is higher, the low is lower. This time um, and the reason these can all be on one record um, and not sound different or like they recorded different times because they were they were recorded two different times. The, the six new songs was the eight old. But it was at my studio in Dallas where I live now. So same process. But it was I did I could sleep in my own bed and be here at home uh, with my wife and like with all, all the things that I was stripped from the first time so, uh, with simulation. So um, yeah, you're right and spot on. Like I just took the things that weren't comfortable for me out of the equation, and otherwise, um, yeah, it was really recorded identical. Just I had to take the core pieces and move them to Chicago, whereas this time I did it all here, in Dallas. I'm so glad, man, because when I when I was reading your interviews after the simulation, I was like, man, if they do this again, Lee might be like, I don't know if I do, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And that, I was like, no, man, I really don't want that to happen. Uh, so I'm really glad that like this recording process was like less stressful for you, because like I say, I could just tell from the words that you were kind of you didn't <laughs> want to go through that again. And um, you noticed that for you, so that's awesome because it's the truth. You know, this is purely my interpretation as a fan from listening to Angel the Radiant, and I might be wrong here. Um, but I feel like Angel the Radiant discusses the duality or the kind of the two sides of the human species uh, quite often. Uh, the title track, Truth and Denial, Threat of Your Presence, and You Are the Narrative, for me, really gave this message across that you were talking about the split between humankind. Um, am I far off? And, and if I am far off, what was the driving theme behind the record? No, you're not far off. And that's kind of the thing that they do a lot with the lyrics is they kind of make it, it'll be about something, of course, but they never want to dictate it too hard so you can't relate. So there's about a split in humanity and I can go into the angel alien aspect about that. But also there was a split in both their lives. Like they both up in like this like six month period, like ended like, 10-year relationships there was a split in their personal lives you know as well so it's not a really album about relationships either but my point is that um you're right there's the duality aspect there's the split aspect and the duality part is like the angel the alien so 
you know, Joe describes it as like the angel is the thing you love and know, and the alien is the unknown. And so that represents a duality of existence, but also a split. Like they went from what they knew to what was going to be the unknown. So there's just layers to it. And the cool part is like, you know, if you write a song about suicide and it's clearly about suicide, people that have been suicidal relate to the song because of that. But like, if you write a song about um, X and you're just a little bit less descriptive, you're saying something, obviously, otherwise what's the point of lyrics, but um, you're, you have a message and you're saying it, but you leave it open and ended enough to be like, oh, this feels like a breakup or this feels like a loss of something. Or so you can, it just makes it more relatable for whatever the person listening is going through. If you just use a slightly less detail, about what this is and just let them draw the concepts and relate how they want. Um, and I also find it cool, like the uh, the angel and aliens fun because the two guys talking about duality and uh, personality. So Joe like grew up Christian and you know, that was his mindset. And Ronnie, our other vocalists, they both do vocals obviously, like Ronnie wasn't that way. And so writing lyrics together as like a religious dude and a non-religious dude and in like a world of uh, like our crazy world like was interesting for them and it's a duality in personality and I think it represents a lot even you know as we go down these crazy political world right now where you're a demon if you think one way you're a demon yeah. if you think the other way like there's just uh yeah there's tons of layers to it and we just try to make it so you can kind of relate uh wherever it fits fit you the most you know Dude, I could talk to you all day, uh, but we are starting to run out of time here. So I'm, are we, for every guest that we get on the podcast, I do a quick fire round, which is yeah. I give you 20 multiple choice questions and you choose the one that you prefer out of the two options. Um, we, we, I run a timer and I see like an elite table who can do it the quickest. Uh, the quickest band member that we've had do this was Lucas Woodman from Holding Absence who did it in, in one minute and 30 seconds. Uh, so when you're ready, dude, I'm going to start firing 20 multiple choice questions yeah, I'm going to see how quickly you can do this. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, Batman or Superman? Superman. Too hot or too dry? Sorry, too hot or too cold? Too hot. Uh, favorite fast food? Um, in and out Oh, I'm going to be slow at this. <laughs> Your favorite Born of Osiris song? Uh, Shadow Mourn. Uh, the best time of the day? Um, eight in the morning. A soap opera is good or bad? Good. Corn or limp biscuit? Corn. Lamb of God or machine head? Lamb of God. Best live show you've ever seen? Mm, Rob Zombie. Best live show you've ever played? Oh, man. South? I don't know. That's uh, a tough Japan. one, yeah. <laughs> uh, the band member that's most fun to be around in a studio? Um, Joe. Uh, the hardest Born of Osiris song to write? Mm. All the signs. Periphery or Tesseract? Tesseract. Ketchup or Mayo? Ketchup. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. Your favorite album of all time? Uh, Sound Awake by Carnival. Your favorite band? Carnival. Favorite movie? Mm. Fuck. You doing well so far? <laughs> uh, let's do... Uh... Oh, fuck. Favorite movie? I don't know. You got me here. 
That is a tough one. That one, that one usually gets people as well as the uh, the hardest song to write. Um, would you go for Marvel or DC? Um, Marvel. And the best advice you would ever give someone? Just be open-minded. Dude, um, you did well. You are nowhere near last. You are nowhere near last. It's all good. <laughs> don't worry. Don't be worried about it. Um, Lee, uh, what an insane experience this was for me because I've been a fan for ages. So uh, thank you so much for your time because you've been doing interviews before we started recording this. You said you've been doing like four in a row now. <laughs> mm -hmm. So thank you so much for your time. Man. This is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and thank Angela Raylan is awesome like a newt would be. And congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you, man. Dude, take care, man. Goodbye. You too.